Welcome to Eastern Europe's Minorities in a Century of Change, a podcast on the history of minority experiences in Central and Eastern Europe during the 20th century. This series is part of the Institute of Historical Research's Centennial Commemorations, Our Century, Looking Back, Thinking Forward, and has been organized by the study group. It was made possible through the help and support of the British Association of Slavonic and East European Studies and the Stanley Burton Center for Holocaust and Genocide Studies at the University of Leicester. The study group is a forum devoted to researching minorities in the national and regional histories of Central and Eastern and Southeastern Europe and to promoting closer scholarly collaboration. For more information, please visit our website at studygroupforminorityhistory.com. I'm Jan Riebak, Early Career Fellow at the Birkbeck Institute for the Study of Antisemitism in London. Today, I will be speaking to Markus Silber, Professor of Jewish History at the University of Haifa and Chair of the Gotthena Institute for the History of the Bund and the Jewish Labour Movement. We will be talking about the Jewish experience and Jewish responses to ethno-nationalism and exclusion in Eastern and Central Europe in the early 20th century. Markus is the author of, among other works, Leo Mjutschuna, Esrahut Shava, Hama Emetz, Lehasagat Autonomia, Le Yehudei Polin, Bimilchamet Haolam Harishona, Different Nationality and Equal Citizenship, The Efforts to Achieve Autonomy for the Jews of Poland During the First World War. He is currently preparing a book on Jewish National Councils, Autonomous National Institutions, and a struggle for national autonomy in post-World War I Europe. So Markus, welcome to the podcast. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in this particular aspect of history? Thank you, Jan, for giving me the opportunity to talk about this topic with you and the listener. And um, I began be being very interested in questions of minorities in Eastern Europe when I made my MA studies at the University of at Tel Aviv University. Uh, my my advisor was very uh, uh, interested in the question of minorities in in the Ukraine during First World War and before. Um, and uh, the mechanisms of uh, national autonomy that were implemented in the Ukraine during the period of the uh, revolutions. Um, when I, even when I began my PhD studies with him as, a, as the advisor, I was very interested in the questions of um, the implementation of autonomy in in the Ukrainian uh, Republic during Um, uh, probably it's related that I am 
coming from um, uh, I, I was born in Argentina, coming from um, um, Yiddishist and a, a, a secular Jewish family that I grew up in uh, Yiddish schooling uh, in a Spanish in a Spanish uh, um, environment. And that made me, from the very beginning, very sensitive to the questions of uh, people with um, different languages and different um, um, cultural approaches or ideology, even ideological approaches, in a, in a, in a um, state that presents itself as homogeneous, despite that it's very heterogeneous, like many other uh, uh, modern states. Fantastic. Um, I, I would actually have an immediate follow-up question to that, because you, you spoke about how st uh, studying of the Jewish experience is important to, uh, for us learning also about other minorities' experiences. Maybe to go a step further in that, um, what do you think the the study of minorities, the Jewish experience and minorities' experience, can tell us about the wider stories of these regions that, as you said, are so often conceived as homogenous societies, or at least um, nationalists view it, uh, view it them um, these ways, and nationalist historiographies? What does a wider European or East Central European historiography gain from looking at uh, minorities and their responses to crisis? I think that it, uh, looking at minorities is a, is a good way to understand minorities or what we call minorities and uh, a way to understand what majorities are and how majorities are presenting themselves and, um, and uh, what are the blind spots in the um, uh, mainstream majorities discourse. Uh, that are uh, that should be addressed. Uh, um, also, uh, when we are talking about a society that is very heterogeneous, con of course, uh, uh, um, uh, with uh, 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 many linguistic, religious, uh, class, gender uh, 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 aspects, that when looking through the hegemony that they are ignored. In some way, when we are talking all... Um, that reminds me when, uh, when uh, the question about what, what Polish history is. Polish history is, is the history of the, of the people receding in, along the centuries on what we used to call the Polish lands or, or the people that they are calling themselves Poles through the ages or what the people that we used to call Poles, you know, uh, retrospectively. Yeah? Um, and I think that it is this looking through the minorities we can understand how complicated is also this group that is called majority and of course it is more inclusive uh, 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 because when we are talking about a society looking only through the hegemonic ethno-national or ethno-religious or ethno-linguistic uh, uh, lens we are missing a, a big part of the story and I would say even the most interesting part of this story. Um, uh, in of, uh, one of the things that I think that it's interesting when we are looking through the minorities lens, minorities lens, and again, when I am talking about minorities, I'm not talking only about ethno-national minorities or ethno-linguistic minorities but, or ethno-religious minorities. We are... Uh, uh, we are gaining some understanding about other possible ways of the history. Uh, um, we, um, ha we sometimes we understand uh, developments that the logic only or, or the, 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 has a logic outcome of previous 
events. But in many, many, ca many cases, there are many other paths and ways. And people at some point preferred to go to through one, way, one specific way. Looking through the, through the uh, uh, lens of the minorities, uh, um, we can understand other paths and other ways that could be better, could be worse, but other possible choices for the people living at some, uh, at some point, in some place, specific place and point. That is the, the reason I think that it's interest, they are interesting. Regarding the Jews, I think that it is what is um, in many cases, especially in uh, Christian Europe, the, um, in during ages, the, in, in many ways, the Jews are the ultimate other. And that is the reason that it is interesting, because it is an other that is very local, in, but is very othered. And um, in, in many cases, I think that the Polish case is one of them, but not the only one, uh, the Jews were kind of mirror to define what, who are us, as the majorities, as not them, the Jews. And that is the reason I think that, the, again, the Jewish prism is interesting to understand if European culture, at, at, at a, in, you know, in a, in a much broader level. Fantastic. Um, another question relating to your work. So in your book, you describe the role of the First World War in Eastern and Central Europe in bringing, as bringing about new questions relating to the standing of minorities in society and the new states that would be created after the war. Could you explain the significance of this war and what came after it a bit further? Well, I think that uh, well, well uh, I think that many people will will agree with me that First World War changed the world. It is the beginning of a new era, uh, that uh, probably we are still in this uh, I would say uh, sad era. Uh, it was the destruction of, a, of the of the construct of the construction of of of, um, of uh, um, heterogeneous big states. It was the end of the uh, some uh, uh, dreams about some perceptions of equality, some perceptions of freedom, some perceptions of fraternity. This concept that we are begin to being popular after the French Revolution. And uh, it is a reconceptualization of each of, of these concepts and um, in the frame of a new um, um, political construction uh, uh, following the, the collapse of the three big uh, uh, or four big Empire, European empires. We are taking also the Ottoman Empire as one European empire. One European empire. I'm dealing the Austro-Hungary, Germany, and Russia besides the Ottoman Empire, and this a collapse is creating a new reality that's um, you know was very accepted in 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 the historiography. But the the period of during the First World War, when the future was so no unclear, and each of the agents tried to construct a future according his understanding of his ideas or interest or whatever, and it is it encapsulates the the, it, it, the ideas brought them the 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 the. the the struggles between 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 groups between uh, the political struggle the military struggles the ideological struggles that are shaping a new world and trying to shape something else um, uh, it's it it marked the beginning of the new world but it is also one another, one more uh, i think uh, important important uh, um, thing that uh, uh, is very uh, visible during the World War, but this is the masses. 
many of what these mass movements were not so massive before World War. Yes, the nationalist movements were probably um, limited before World War. I am talking in general about uh, 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 many nationalist movements in East Central Europe, but they became massive during World War One. Uh, also, of course, the um, uh, political mo movements like socialism or 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 or, or these uh, uh, workers as a mass movement that were important maybe in on the eve of World War One, but during World War One, there are a new massive, impossible to not to see, uh, um, and um, it is is uh, this mass politics. Um, um, and it, uh, it is really um, they, are, they really made a sea change uh, and it was so I think so massive and so visible and so big that even they themselves imagined them as massive before the war yes that are uh, the their imagination about what happened before the war in some way duplicate the the mass character of their of the movements during the during the war uh, but maybe i am not so answering your your question no i i think this is really important um, <clears throat> i i would agree that one of the key moments is that when the war brings about the collapse of society. It's already the war. It's not only November nineteen or um, November um, eighteen, or in, in the Russian case, well, November seventeen. Um, but um, that this is already ha something that's happening through the war, and then people have to rethink in what kind of society do we want to live in. That on the one side they have this progressive idea, so we they have a vision for the future. Where, where they want to go, but at the same time, they envision their future employing the terms and the concepts of their most immediate past. Um, I, I think this is this is one of the of, of mm -hmm. the key. I, I would also add that um, uh, the uh, stereotype of the first world war is something that it was more is very stable, and uh, and the world changed several times during these uh, uh, four years or so. Uh, and uh, also these changes during the war, the perspective that changed during the war also reshaped the, the ideas about, about what would be the future. Because the immediate past, it was not only the immediate past on the eve of the war, but the immediate past on the first months of the war or the first years of the war with all the changes uh, uh, each period brought. Uh, to the different societies that again reimagine themselves and they try to to adapt themselves on one side of the conditions, the actual conditions then, and on the other side their vision of the of the the future, what future they want and what future they thought that is possible. Huh? And I think that many of um, I think that that in many cases we are addressing these ideas with an, I would say, idealistic approach. Uh, but they were very, very practical. And uh, in some way, this, um, uh, um, this, uh, um, the future they imagine, they imagine them as a very viable future. Um, and when I am talking about the future, I am talking, of course, about the, what is a state and what will be the state here, not so important if we are talking about about Galicia, Congress, Poland, or Lithuania, which state will be here after the war, what kind of state, how this state will be connected to the other states, how, how will be the, the structure of this state, and how will be the structure of this state in another, in a, in a broader, in a broader, um, international constellation and what will be the status of this broader constellation regarding what the the big powers perceived at that time because sometimes the big powers Germany but that's another in another in another in another uh, um, uh, uh, setting it was the it was Russia yeah 
uh, or the Austrian Empire, that it was be the big power from in many perspectives in 1915. Yeah. I, I want to um, stay on, on that topic. Um, you spoke about these ideas of what kind of state would be created. And aside from, if we leave Soviet, Soviet Russia aside, um, it seems that the principle of ethno-nationalism triumphed. Now, of course, this implied substantial prob uh, problems for minorities, to those who did not subscribe um, to these ethno-national categories or did fall out of them. So one key demand by minorities, most importantly Jews, was the demand for national personal autonomy as a response to that. Could you explain a bit how people reached the conclusion that this would be a possible means of establishing good relations between majorities and minorities and to secure the place of minorities in those new states. Mm -hmm. well, I would say that, of course, the, the, this, um, these ideas of minority rights were in all over Eastern Europe, regarding the Jews, in all over Eastern, Eastern, East Central Europe or Eastern Europe, uh, was very rooted in these in the main Austrian ideas, uh, uh, some, in sometimes rooted in Fischhoff, Adolf Fischhoff ideas, sometimes rooted more on Renner's ideas. Um, that mean the, the idea, the main idea was a kind of federation, it's a, a, which is also a, a logic that uh, people on the eve of the First World War thought about states. This federation of states, lands, yes, and um, and this uh, uh, that means that it, some kind of limited sovereignty into a broader into a broader spectrum, either Austria or Russia, as a broader context, yes, that's one point. But why this to it was regarded as a viable uh, solution? Uh, um, uh, in 1897, uh, in, in uh, 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 Simon Dubnov, the big Jewish, the, the great Jewish historian, uh, wrote a series of essays about, um, uh, uh, he, he titled the essays uh, Letters About um, uh, Old and New Judaism. And he present he phrased, I think very good in the in the fourth letter, why this idea is viable, and he wrote that it is impossible to create nation states, because in every way you will draw the borders of the states always will be minorities and you cannot create what the, some kind of a, a, a nation state because always will be minorities. And uh, this, this um, uh, idea of drawing borders between nations will create um, a, a, um, situations that will lead to ethno ethnic violence because if some place will be disputed between two or three um, ethno-national groups it could lead to violence that and of course violence is not i would say maybe using his uh, his argument is not rational uh, people don't want this violence is nothing for everybody. That means that this idea of trying to create um, a, a system that will include all the groups, either minorities or majorities, it will be, it is the best way to uh, solve this question. He also added that in the near future, uh, the possibilities of uh, building these kinds of states are diminishing because all Europe in general or the world in, in Europe, Europe in particular and, and the world in general is being more and more heterogeneous because of the modernization and the migrations that are part of this process of modernization. That means that it is so it's completely, completely. Uh, 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 mm, 
it's it's a, it's a stupid idea, he said, to think about nation states. As we, uh, I would add, uh, when he talked about nation states in some way, he uh, uh, addressed the uh, the um, the states that he imagined in places like the new created Greece, yeah, that place with a very strong um, ethno-national, ethno-religious, ethno-linguistic uh, 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 um, uh, majority with probably with no um, uh, visible or, 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 or prominent minorities. This, I, I am talking about Greece in the late, in the late 19th century when it was smaller before uh, before uh, Thessaloniki, for instance, was uh, included in the, in, the, in the state. But it was how Dubnov, that never was visited uh, Greece, uh, imagined in the late 19th century a nation state. Um, that is the reason that the I think the uh, uh, the uh, people thought that uh, the federation of minorities are, are a viable a valuable solution to this question um, and i uh, even uh, at the uh, and i think that it was the broader denomination of the jewish political groups because when uh, the bund which is the socialist the socialist anti-zionist jewish national movement uh, uh, thought about the jews in Eastern Europe, the Jews in Russia, they imagined a new kind of federation of nations, each one um, getting some rights uh, that will um, accommodate them um, uh, from the cultural point of view into the state. It was also how the Zionists imagined the, 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 the future of the Jews in, in East Central Europe, and even um, uh, uh, German Zionists imagine in this way, in, in this particular way, the future of Jews in East Central Europe, of course, Eastern to Germany, uh, when the war, uh, the First World War One uh, uh, broke uh, broke up, yes, um, uh, what the group of uh, um, prominent. Uh, Zionists from, I would say, the first generation of Zionists in, in, in Germany, they even draw a program that imagine in uh, East Central Europe as a big state, a big state with no majority. Each, each of the groups will be, a, a, it will be a minority uh, and will get some rights, political and cultural rights, according to this, um, this ethno-national, ethno-religious or ethno-linguistic uh, uh, belonging. Uh, they did not imagine nation states as emerged from the, uh, from the uh, um, Versailles uh, new European order. They imagine federations of states. Of uh, of uh, federation of nations, yeah. So they essentially deconstructed nationalism to a certain extent, or the, the, this uh, nationalist paradigm that nation and state have to be the same. Yeah, they, I think that they. they uh, um, uh, what is interesting, the the uh, uh, I would say the para the paradigm that nation and states are the same is maybe a result of World War One. I think, especially in, um, at least in the in the Jewish case, and I think that also in many ways in the Polish case, in the Lithuanian case, or even on the Ukrainian cases, that I more or less uh, are familiar with, the idea of this of a nation state completely sovereign, it, it, it was not there. It is it's, it's, a, it's an effect of the World War One or, or result of the of the of the developments during the war. I think that they the paradigm was that uh, um, a national belonging is essential uh, component in the uh, in the human identity. In this way, they imagine that. Uh, I am not saying that. You know, also, I am also uh, repeating more or less the 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 the. the, the 
their uh, idea and uh, um, um, every person belongs to one nation and only to one nation and in order to be really equal in the state their uh, ethno-national identity or they use the word national identity should be addressed by the law and should be established and um, regulated in order not in order not to uh, um, uh, discriminate somebody because he's ethno national or ethno cultural belonging i'll uh, pick up on something you said a little bit earlier the ideas of federations and the way or the concepts people had in mind when they were thinking about it and so the question would be in when we put ourselves in the early years after the First World War or immediately after the First World War, what as both positive and as negative examples did people have in mind? So for <clears throat> in regard to federation, were they did they have the various compromises in the Habsburg Empire in mind? And in regards to what a nation state um led by the titular nationality and made for the titular nationality, what did they have in mind? Was it Germany, for example, and its treatment of Poles in, in, in the Posen region? Or, or what were the positive and negative examples that, that people related to? Uh, okay. I, I think that, they, uh, of course, um, they kept in their minds the two sets of examples. One would say immediate, and, and the second less immediate. First was the, the uh, way they experienced their life in the, um, in the empire. They, they resided the German empire, in the case of Poznan or Poznan, uh, the, the Austrian empire, in the case of Prague or Krakow or, or, or Lviv, or Lviv. Or, um, or the Russian Empire in the case of Warsaw or Vilnius. That is one set of, of experiences that were in their mind. The second one was their experience during the war. And I think that it was very... Um, um, uh, when they, they, they experienced or more extreme, like in the case maybe of Krakow, when in 1918 was this program, uh, this uh, violent experience was was there, and it was in their mind. Not only the idea of this uh, Franz Josef Austria. No? Uh, in the case of uh, Warsaw, the experience and uh, the German occupation, and the way the German occupation uh, um, manipulated the ethnic relations in Warsaw was more prominent than their experience under Russia. Um, uh, and the case in Vilnius is the same. Their experience under the German occupation was very, very different in Vilnius than in, in, in Warsaw. Uh, it was more prominent to try to reshape the, the actual conditions than their Russian experience. Um, I would uh, give one exp one example that it is coming in my mind regarding Warsaw. Uh, um, uh, during World War One, began not began, but it was much prominent uh, um, trend of discriminations against the Jews in the political level, and. Uh, um, in many places, uh, in the press, in the Jewish press, you can read that uh, in 1915, they say that this discrimination is part of their, is, fo is um, a follow-up of the Russian experience. It's not a Polish issue. It is a Russia, Russian discrimination. The, let's say the last waves of Russian discrimination at the end of the of the of the, of the war, they they wrote exactly op the opposite. It is 
it, it was our hope that the discrimination was only a Russian issue. It is not. It's also Polish. Yes? That is the way they, they um, understood their experience and they um, brought these two sets of experiences together and trying to understand what is, what is going on now and how we should... Um, uh, uh, should continue or should develop in order to become equal citizens. I think that it was the main point. Um, uh, I would even uh, add that the struggle for national autonomy in places like uh, Poland, Galicia, uh, uh, Congress Poland, Galicia, uh, Lithuania, it was more and more um, stronger uh, when they understood or they imagined the uh, the uh, the perspectives of the um, of the um, uh, hegemonic national the, the hegemonic national movements in in each place, or the the hegemonic forces in each national movement, as um, making efforts to exclude them, more efforts to exclude the minorities or the Jewish minorities in this case, brought to more a um, um, strong. A vociferous demands of nation of national rights, minority rights, in order to defend themselves against against discrimination. Now, on paper, all these new states that were created then promised the equality of all citizens. Um, how does this promise of liberal integrationist equality relate to the demand for? national autonomy yeah i think that it is a point it is this is a nice i think a, a, a example of how the words are very and that the interpretation of the words and the concepts are so important because the question it was not if the is the uh, state is given is giving equality the question is what is equality and the equality is equality before the law for the citizens and who is entitled to be citizen and which kind of, but uh, um, um, equality before the law is a guarantee of equality or it is only one aspect of equality i think that the, the, the equality is a, is, a, is a concept it's a very it's a very contested concept concept in during world war 1 and we see how different it is interpreted in soviet russia or in uh, uh, or in Poland or even in Lithuania uh, or other Baltic states uh, for the Jewish minorities and uh, um, equality before the law it was a way to discriminate them because uh, when, when when the law of course is interpreted in, 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 the, in the liberal Western way. If, before, if equality before the law is that everybody should rest one day in the week and the day is Sunday, that means that the, that the law, the equal law, is discriminating those that are not resting in, in Sunday. Uh, or if... Be, uh, but, of course, the, uh, in, on the other side of this contested uh, 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 concept of what is equality is the other side that it's saying, but if you are not uh, making one a, a, a day, on specific day is mandatory, what are you doing is to give more, less rights to the workers that would work every day in order to get some your salary and you are pricing those uh, classes that are mm, that are uh, uh, more rich uh, um, 
that's regarding the question of of of, of the day of the sun the, the Sunday question that it was called in in this region or the question of the language. If you are uh, um, allowing somebody to present his case in in the in the in the uh, in the court only in the in the in the only one official language you are discriminating those that can express themselves freely in in the in this language or if the uh, um, if the official language is mandatory for those clerks working in every place in the country even uh, uh, with people that are not talking the official language that means that you are discriminating all the people that are uh, uh, speaking speaking this uh, Ukrainian, Yiddish, or Lithuanian uh, languages that are minority languages, even in regions or cities or towns that the the minority language is more prominent than the official language. That's another another set of the questions dealing dealing and dealing uh, with language. But on the other side, if you are allowing the use of the minority languages, but only in the border regions far away from the city, far away from the the more uh, um, developed, so to speak, uh, places with more economic uh, possibilities. But you are not allowing them to you to open these these schools in the in the main cities. Are you giving them equality? And, uh, um, when you are recognizing this linguistic difference, or are we relegating them all the time to be in the margins of the society? This this question is is very complicated. I think um, uh, uh, um, it was broadly discussed in this period, uh, and you know, uh, um, reaching some compromises in different places according to different. Uh, uh, ways of understanding, but it were, I think, big questions, big questions. Fantastic. Um, in these demands for minority rights and for national autonomy and in the struggle for equality, in a, in a new interpretation of equality, how did um, Jewish political movements and activists, how did they relate to other minorities in the region? Okay, I think that uh, uh, they try um, to create some coalitions of minorities in the... But of course, the question is, what is minorities? Which is, again, it, 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 you know, it's a social, construct, social construction of minorities and majorities, because I would give you two different ways to address this this uh, question more but i would say the jewish uh, the jewish leadership tried to create a, 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 some coalitions of minorities mm, the, so, um, probably the most uh, uh, known uh, 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 the most known coalition of minorities was what is called in interwar poland uh, the minority bloc that to the elections to the first time, that means the first after the constituent same, a group because a very discriminatory electoral law, the minorities created the coalition of all the parties of the minorities, I mean Ukrainian, German and Jewish minorities going together to 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 the to to the elections and they gained very prominent results. And um, they, they imagined that through the block of minorities that were more or less, if you, if you are talking about the Polish Sejm in 1921, is uh, composed by, by four different groups that only three, if you are combining three, you can get majority. They thought that through this minority block, they could create a, a Polish state, not only in the in the ethno-national Polish uh, 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 meaning of the of the word Polish state in the I would say in a civil, in a civic uh, uh, meaning. Uh, that was maybe one example. Um, other example is probably the case of Lithuania, 
when uh, uh, at the beginning of this uh, Lithuanian uh, Republic, certainly in the, in, the, in the very beginnings, I am talking about very late 19, 1918 and 1919, on the borders of what is Lithuania were very not clear, Jews and Belarusians tried to create a broader Lithuanian Lithuanian state in order to include many Belarusians as possible in order to create a nationality state, a state not a national state. The, nation, the, the, the Lithuanian nationalists looked for a, for a smaller Lithuania and the, uh, the, the other group for a broader Lithuania. I'm, I'm saying that because if um, demographically speaking, the, the, these Belarusians were majority or, you know, a relative majority, were, and the number was higher than the, than the Lithuanian. And the case of Ukraine, the Ukraine in 1917, 1920, maybe it's similar because in some ways, the Ukraine, not some ways, in many ways, what we call the Ukrainian, the, the Ukrainians, ethnonational Ukrainians were a minority in in, in a minority in most of the cities in, in the Ukraine, while Jews and Russians together were the majorities. One third, one third, one third. Let, so to speak, in these big cities in general, as, you know, it's the village. And this coalition that was created between Ukrainians and Jews, in some against the Russians, who were a minority, but were, you know, the hegemony in the Russian Empire. It functioned, I would say, they were a sociological majority, despite that it was a demographic minority. And this, quali this coalition between a demographic majority in, in the Ukrainian state, the Ukrainian, but a sociological minority with the Jews or another minority this created this special case of the Ukraine, this short-living Ukrainian Republic, where minority rights and autonomy were implemented during uh, during this period. Uh, that so the main way to confront this question was in this region was to create some kind of coalition of minorities. I would say. Let's look at the practical level in, in the region. So when we look at the regulation of minority rights and also the forms of national autonomy that came about, we can see very different structures and outcomes in Lithuania, in Ukraine, in Poland, in Czechoslovakia. How can we explain these differences? Uh, well, we can explain it in I mean, using many different tools. The first one was, I would say, the um, uh, socio-demographic compositions of the world, especially of these groups that were uh, considered uh, the, the, um, um, agrarian minorities. Yes, the, in the case of Lithuania and Ukraine, the Ukraine, this was considered the, the agrarian minorities became the, the, the the entitled nations and uh, where these uh, um, uh, agrarian minorities created the state, uh, the comp the, this competition between uh, it, it was more or less uh, differentiated. It was easier to combine this agrarian nation, giving uh, and with urban nations, so to speak, the Jews, uh, uh, and created more positive, I would say, conditions to accept this, uh, this concept of minority rights. Uh, again, because these demographic majorities were social, sociologically uh, minorities, were not the dominant group in the, in the, before the war or before the collapse of the empire, the Russian empire. The case of uh, Poland is is very, very different because uh, uh, um, uh, the, what, uh, what we call Poles are, were very prominent also in the cities and also in the general territories and were more, it, it, very, it was very, was maybe dominated in many ways, by more, I would say, right-wing parties that were that were not, they were, for them was hard to compromise with minorities, but I can also add something about that, 
uh, and uh, maybe the the uh, the strong history of I think that Polish Polish national movements also uh, uh, was um, a factor, and they they how on on one way the the. The I would say the memories of this old uh, Polish, big Polish power uh, until the 18th century functioned as uh, as a fa- another factor. Uh, um, but we have to take into consideration that what emerged uh, that during the war and even immediately after the First World War still were two diff- two big models that. In, in the Polish national movement that struggled with each other. This, uh, I would say, uh, right-wing and Dezia mo- uh, model that wanted a very nationalistic n- nation, a-, a state that is serving primarily or maybe only the ethno-national uh, 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 citizens. And the other model, which was a little bit more a, a, a inclusive that it was the Pilsudski movement, the PPS, the Polish Socialist Party, a, a, a model that wanted him a broader, a broader Poland that will include even Ukraine, will that will give some rights to the other minorities. But it was a very paternalistic model uh, because it was giving these um, uh, low, lower classes. Uh, uh, national groups, maybe mostly uh, Slavonian, uh, Slavic uh, 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 groups, some rights, uh, because they are not enough developed. It was a very paternalistic movement, but in any uh, model. But in any case, there are two different models. And we have to take into consideration that these two models were were fighting, struggling, each, each with the other. Till this more nationalistic uh, 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 right-wing model was became the, uh, the hegemonic model for the Polish state. Again, looking through this this um, uh, these uh, struggles uh, uh, inside the national movements, we can we can see how different could be the history if the people would make another choice. Thank you so much. Um, so we're coming slowly towards the end. <clears throat> Marcus, can you tell us a bit about your current work? What are you working on right now? What can we expect from you in the next years? Okay. Uh, I, if talking about uh, Polish uh, national movement, um, uh, I am working on the transference of motives between Polish national movement and the Jewish national movement, especially Zionism, and between Poland and Israel. Uh, I am focusing how um, main concepts um, rooted in the Polish national movement and also in the Jewish national movement, special Zionism, are so are two faces of Janus. In some way, they are the same way of thinking. Some, in some way, come and rooted in the in in, may, in very similar sources, but interpreted interpreted a, a very. A, a little bit different, all the time, I would say, looking each to the other and um, um, through the observation or perception of the other side, Jews, Jewish national movement, uh, looking at the Polish national movement and Polish national movement looking at Jews, let's say, it's in this way, or the Jewish experience and how the this Perception is shaping the the uh, the the their own idea ideas about their own national movement. Um, to give an example is how the idea of a nation without a state was interpreted in the Polish context after the partitions in the during the nineteenth century through their perception of the Jews as perceived by the by these by big figures in the Polish national movement uh, of the Jews and how the uh, Zionism in late 19th century for instance looked at the Polish national movement as um, some uh, uh, um, 
example to follow how to uh, build the, the Jewish nation. This is fascinating and I think also incredibly topical theme given also everything that uh, we talked about before. So I have a follow-up question here relating to the current situation, the current world we are living in. So do you think that we are seeing similar phenomena here, um, especially in Israel, in the relation between majority and minorities as we did in Eastern and Central Europe, in Poland maybe, um, in um, the early 20th century, in the late 19th century? I think that... And, are, and, and, and may the answers and the, and the strategies that minority activists employed back then be relevant for today? May they teach us something about our mm -hmm. world today? I am... Um... I think that in, in many cases, uh, uh, scholars are looking at the situation in Israel or the situation in Poland in the interwar period, if you want, or in the Habsburg Empire till the World War I as structural difference. It, it structures. But it, so it means that something that it is, I would say, uh, not related to the human agency. But what uh, through this um, um, through studying the transference of ideas, we can understand that these structures are created by people that these structures are in their mind. Yeah? That is the reason that we can see some, I would say again, structural differences created by the age, by the people uh, uh, that are. In some way, they have similarities between what's going on in other places or in periods, let's say, in very, in very close periods. And how these ideas are transferred and retransferred? I would give maybe two or three examples to illustrate this, this idea. When the law of return was discussed in the Knesset, of course, in, uh, uh, um, after the establishment of the State of Israel, um, some of the people discussing this, this law experienced the discussion of a similar law of uh, 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 return in in uh, early interwar Poland, and they in their discussion they referred to the oldest war they experienced in Poland. That in some way it is they are transferring, discussing it in a different world. The same regarding the question of minorities. It's Hagrimbaum, one of the leaders, the Zionist leaders, or maybe one of the leaders of Polish Jewry in interwar Poland that was very prominent in struggling for uh, minority rights. When, this, when the, pop, the State of Israel was established, regarding the, the question of refugees, uh, Palestinian refugees, should they return or not? He, to, to reject the idea he supported in Poland, he again brought his Polish experience. Uh, two more examples that I think that are uh, very interesting. Uh, one more is when uh, after the, um, the assignment of the um, uh, peace, uh, the peace agreement with, between Israel and Egypt, and the question of the, uh, the status of Palestinian uh, was raised Menachem Begin, at that time Prime Minister, who was raised in Poland, in interwar Poland, and was very, very aware of the Polish, I would say, a, a political culture. He proposed the idea of autonomy. But when he talked about, when he talked about autonomy, what was in his mind was this The, the autonomy of minorities in Poland, the project of autonomy of minorities in Poland. Yeah? Not the territorial autonomy the Palestinians imagined by, by, for, for themselves. 
that is another transfer that we can see. And maybe the last one that is uh, very interesting is when, uh, I would say maybe 20 years ago, it's of course not, not part of the study, but it's answering your, 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 your question, um, probably around 20 years ago, it was established a new uh, Arab parties by Azmi Bshara, and he brought to as a, as a, a very important ideological component of his party the ideas of national autonomy, as was uh, imagined by Jewish parties, but not only in Eastern Europe. He was very aware of the Jewish uh, of the uh, Jewish um, demands for for minority rights in in East Central Europe, and he used that in when he presented the main demands of his Arab party in Israel. Absolutely fascinating. Um, thank you so much, Marcus, um, for taking the time um, to talking to us. Thank you for coming and for giving <laughs> me the opportunity to discuss with you this question that I know is uh, uh, it's a common interest between interest between you and me. Fantastic. Thank you so much.